0: So today, uh, we're in the eighth and the final uh, sermon in the teaching series that I've called Grow. And this has been a burden on me for probably 18 months to do some kind of series like this. Uh, And what I've wanted to do every week, what I hope I've been able to do every week, is not to place an unhealthy burden on you that is not of God, but to place an invitation in front of you of Jesus who's constantly inviting us to a deeper place with him, Because I I came at this series with a couple of concerns. One of my concerns is that we have people in churches all over the world or people who have a knowledge of God all over the world who have either been convinced by others or who have convinced themselves that knowledge of God or knowing some songs or attendance in church is what connects them to the Lord, yet they've never made a decision to trust in Jesus, to confess Jesus as their Lord. And one of my concerns is that a church culture all around the world has allowed people to think that being close to Jesus is good enough and not being in Jesus. So what I've prayed for for myself, and last Wednesday night I was with a few of our shepherds late one Wednesday praying for God to give us as a church and as leaders this gospel ache for people who aren't living in a covenant with Jesus to be invited into this relationship with Jesus. But one of my concerns, too, is that we have churches, especially in the Western world, or Christians in the Western world, and, and, and places all over the world who've given their lives to Jesus. They've engaged in a moment where they've been converted, and they've gone from lost to found, and they've, they've trusted in Christ, they've been baptized, and then they've taken one baby step, and that's where they have stayed. And there's been no maturity, no growth, no development, and really no desire for it. And I hope that we all can see Jesus is the one who invites people into conversion and he's also the person, the one who invites people out of conversion into a deeper life with him. So at any point in my preaching over the last few years to any of you, if I place a burden on you that is not of the Lord, I am the first this morning in my office who repented of that. I don't want to place any kind of burden on you that is not of the Lord, but I want to lay in front of you every week challenges and invitations into a deeper life with Jesus. Uh, I understand, and God has really taught me over the last few weeks and months that we grow at a different pace. This is true for our bodies. It's also true for our minds. It's true for how we grow spiritually. We grow at different paces based on the storms of life, circumstances of life, the pace of life. And I don't, I don't expect you to grow or whatever I think your pace of growth should be. I want you to grow at the pace of God uh, and what, and how He wants you to, to grow. I don't want you to think that uh, that I want you to grow uh, at the pace, I want you to, but, but here's what I really want. Uh, I don't want you to sell yourself short of what God wants for you in your life. I don't want you to settle for something less than what God is inviting you into. And that God's inviting you to a deeper place where there's growth and maturity and formation and development. Uh, it's, the, it's the great scholar and theologian, uh, the comedian Chris Rock, who a few years ago, all right, somebody sent me this little YouTube piece of him. And I watched it, and it was on relationships. And I'm not going to do a Chris Rock impersonation because I'm really bad at impersonations. But in this piece, what he said is that sometimes people come up to him and they're like, man, I'm a good dad. I'm a good dad because I don't beat my kids. And Chris Rock is like, dude, you're not supposed to beat your kids. Like, that's not what makes you a good parent. And then sometimes people up. Come up to him and they're like, Man, I'm a good husband because I don't cheat on my wife and he's like, Man, you're not supposed to cheat on your wife. That's not what makes you a good husband. And what makes us good parents or good in marriage or good disciples, it's not the things we don't do, it's the things we, we do. It's the it's the way we live. So today I want us to rally around growth, not just for us as individuals, but I want to finish this series talking about church growth. And I want us to rally around what the church can accomplish and what God has created the church to accomplish. And I want us to believe today that we can accomplish more together than we can by ourselves. Uh, In the book of Acts, there are times where the book of Acts does give out numbers. In Acts chapter 1, there are 120 people who gathered for a prayer meeting in Acts 1. In Acts 2, 3,000 people were baptized. In Acts 3 and 4, you read about church growth. The church grew to 5,000. And I don't know if 3,000 and 5,000 were just... I don't know if, like, there were people who were rounding up or rounding down or it was kind of an, you know, just an estimate. I don't know if God really likes solid, even numbers, you know. (laughs) Let's just get it up to 3,000 or 5,000. But there are times where these numbers do show up, yet they're not the numbers that are hanging on every page. And if we're not careful, we get fixated with numbers, and if you don't believe it, how many of you, when you grab a bulletin, the first thing you look at when you walk in this room, it's not the worship order, it's not the songs we're singing, it's not what's going on in the church, it's how many people did we have last week? What's, what's the giving? Some of us grew up in churches, some of you grew up in churches with the board at the front of the church, where it had the attendance for last Sunday and the attendance for this Sunday, the, the giving for last Sunday, the giving for this Sunday, and then how many people will go to hell if the giving's not better by next week? I don't, my, my church had those. I don't know if you did. Uh, but I, even when I talk to people and meet people throughout Memphis, or I was speaking somewhere in Russellville, Arkansas the last couple of days, and I met people and they came up, and when they hear I'm a preacher and they want to ask about Sycamore View, almost every time the first question they ask is, how many people do you have? And and I don't even know how to answer that. Sometimes I'm like, "Do you want to know the membership? Because I, you know, we're around 900, 925 members. But do you want to know the the average attendance in January? You want to know the average attendance in July? Because those are different. And I don't even know what to offer people. Numbers matter in Acts, but numbers doesn't get it doesn't take up more of the the, the space in the Book of Acts. It's focused on mission and purpose and identity. There are many people in our world today who may be hostile to the church, but I think there are more people, especially in America, who they aren't hostile to the church. They just don't see why the church or what the church has to offer that is a value, why it is meaningful. Some may see it as a waste of time. Um, And what I want to help us to see today is that Here's what is so cool about God is that God is still really creative and God is still working with the church to reinvent ways of expressing ourselves to the world. God's still working in the church, creating and reinventing ways for us to express faith and what it means to live and what it means to even use technology And though God is working to create and reinvent ways to express ourselves to the world, God is not creating or reinventing what the foundation of the church is. That is set, and it's Jesus. And the church has never been called to try to come up with a vision or mission that becomes the foundation. So as churches wrestle with vision and mission, it's about expression. It's not about foundation. Jesus is foundation, and we move forward from there. Can we say amen to that? Can we just agree that Jesus is the foundation of the church before we can go anywhere else, right? Uh, uh, You know, sometimes having amen, handshaking, maybe a hand waving like this, you know, even an applause to the glory of God lets me know that you're with me, and sermons become shorter when you do that, right? Bunch of sarcastic people. I don't even know what to do with you. All right, open your Bibles to Colossians. Uh, I I want us to look. There's one verse in Colossians that's had my attention since I've been planning this series, and I want to get to that verse in just a moment. But to begin, I mean in Colossians, it's this book. it's It's an amazing book. Go home and read it. It's four chapters long. Uh, In colossians a lot of times in life when you think about problems and solutions problems come first And then we form the solution But in colossians the way you need to read colossians is that paul first gives the solution Before he talks about the problem So paul's not writing talking about here are the problems in your church and now let me help you solve it It's hey Here's the solution and now that the solution's in place. Let's talk about the problems so I just want to read a couple of places in Colossians and I want you to follow along with me on the screen or in your Bible. I want you to take notes. It's okay to give a mm-hmm, the things you agree with because there are a couple of places in Colossians where he begins with a solution where Paul's going to talk about how amazing, beautiful, glorious, powerful Jesus is before he talks about the problem. Follow along with me. Colossians 1:15 through 20. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, in Jesus, all things in heaven and on earth And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood on the cross. Pretty good, right? Now, fast forward or maybe flip a page in Colossians 2, verse 6, and he's going to build more on the solution, which is Jesus. And beginning in verse 6 of chapter 2, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the universe and not according to Christ, for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Some of your versions say you were complete. You find how you were complete in Christ. Verse 10, "...and you have come to fullness in Him who is the head of every ruler and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with the spiritual circumcision by putting off the body of the flesh and the circumcision of Christ. When you were buried with Him in baptism, You were also raised with him through faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave us all our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands. He set this aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed or dismantled the rulers and authorities and made a public example of them, triumphing over them in it. Amen, right? Like, what Jesus has accomplished is for you, and now you, Now Paul's going to go into the problem. So the next verse, in verse 16 of chapter 2, is this. Therefore, don't let anyone condemn you in matters of food and drink, or of observing festivals, new moons, Sabbaths. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Jesus, belongs to Christ. Do not let anyone disqualify you, insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, dwelling on visions, puffed up without cause by human way of thinking, and not holding fast to the head. This is why Colossians really fits with some Church of Christ culture, and not just Church of Christ culture, just, just church culture. Is that what was happening in that church, is there were some traditions that had been kept in the Jewish faith, or in that church. And now they're forcing that upon people as, hey, you have to obey these things too if you want to be saved. If you want to be in right relationship with God. Have you ever seen this happen in a church culture before? I mean, this has happened over the last hundred years. There are times, and this could go back, I'm sure there are times over the last 2,000 years this has happened. Where a church has a deep conviction, and then there are people who don't like, align with them about the conviction. So what you do if people don't align with you, you make it into a heaven and hell issue. And we've done this with kitchens. We've done this with music styles, worship styles. Uh, we've done, there, there are groups that have, uh, if you don't believe in a baptism of the Holy Spirit, where you begin to speak in tongues, then you're not saved. So I mean, there's so many groups that have placed upon people expectations and demands that aren't of God. So what we have done is sometimes we've created a Jesus and fill in the blank gospel. Where, hey, you need Jesus. But here are some other things you have to do too. If you really want to be saved and thrive in a relationship with God. So Paul begins Colossians by giving them the solution, which is Jesus. He's the solution. He's the source. He's the foundation. And then he talks about the problem. And at the very end of 19 says this. And not holding fast to the head. And I love this line. This has driven me in prayer time over this series. From whom the whole body, nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinus, grows with the growth that is from God. Isn't that a great phrase? grows with the growth that is from God. Will you circle that in your Bible? Will you make a commitment this week to pray that phrase over this church throughout the week, that we will grow with the growth that comes from God? Let me talk uh, just for a moment about uh, a little bit more about Sycamore View. Back in November, I went before our, uh, our staff here, and I led us in a discussion on Just in our church as we are an expression of the kingdom of god in this place We're not the only expression in memphis. We're an imperfect expression, but we're an expression And i led let us in a discussion of where do you see potential for places of growth in our church And also where are there challenges for growth in our church? And we wrestled with this and 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 had a couple of really good discussions And then we took it to the elders back in december or january had the same discussion with them And now I just want to I want to lay some things before you for the sake of prayer, for us to rally around things. I think it's good for us to know where's the potential for growth. But I think it's good for us as a church to also know what are some challenges to growth. And this, you could probably think of another, uh, uh, dozens of other things that could go up on this screen. But let me just go through a few. Number one, here's some current potential for growth. And it's this, I mean, number one is, there's this, we've gained a reputation in our community of being a welcoming church. We have gained relational equity with many people. Uh, This is it's really cool sometimes for me when I walk into certain circles with church leaders or city leaders Whether they're church of christ or not and i'm in a group and the name sycamore view comes up and people know who we are They know what god is doing through us There were uh, a few weeks ago I was invited into a meeting with superintendent hobson and I was in a room with about 15 or 20 people And when sycamore view came up the superintendent knew who we've adopted for our schools and for me, that was a win for this church. That he knows that we have connected to Kingsbury, his staff. They know what we're doing, and they're able to connect me to other people who are connecting to other schools around here, too. That we've gained some relational equity in our community. We should celebrate that. Secondly, the current places where there's potential for growth is with the SOMA crowd, the college age crowd at U of Memphis, as well as millennials. We had 89. People place membership in 2016, the large majority of them were under the age of 40. Now, I've talked to you in the past, there's research coming out, that basically says, though the people who are doing the research don't agree with this theologically, what they've said is that in most churches, at some point, they have to decide, are they going to be a 45 and up church or a 45 and under church? Because it's too hard bringing people together. And I find this to be a great challenge sometimes too. When I put an 80-year-old with a 15-year-old, it's like they speak English and Spanish, right? Sometimes it's hard for them to understand each other and their worldview and how they think about the world. Uh, But uh, that now... 100% of the people who've placed membership with us over the last year were either an infant all the way up to 95, all right? How's that for a stat? But, But a large majority of people were under the age of 40, and we celebrate that. Number three, there's the Boys and Girls Club right here on our campus where you heard earlier, 120 people every day of the week, five days a week, are here on this campus, Last year, there were over 500 members of the Boys and Girls Club. The maximum is usually, the max is they may have up to 160 kids, but an average of 120. And I feel like as a church, we're still barely scratching the surface on what God wants to do with this relationship. Now, some of the Boys and Girls Club kids who come here are from families who love God. They're connected to churches. They're from healthy families. uh, And they have a lot to teach us. But there are some who aren't. So what's the invitation we're giving to them to come deeper with God? You also have around here, this, you start thinking through some of our strategic partners of Memphis teacher resident, Shelby Oaks, Kingsbury. You have teachers and some of our strategic partners who are coming to Memphis to make this home and to invest in our community. And some, many of them are looking for church homes. And one thing we've talked about as a staff is how we can get better at invitation because I think we've gotten really good at blessing other people and encouraging them. But at some point, there's a need for an invitation of, hey, if you were a believer and you were not connected to a local church, we need you at Sycamore for the sake of the mission and the kingdom and the advancement of the kingdom of God here and beyond. Last but not least, that we have gained a reputation of being a grace-oriented, kingdom-focused church. What I mean is this. There are people who, in our community, when they suffer from forms of pain and brokenness or divorce, they've been beaten down. Our reputation has grown in our community that this is a church that can love people up. We can love up on them. We can nurture them back to health. If you're a minister who has been let go from a church and there's some, uh, uh, some distrust in the church, they have come here to receive nourishment and to be cared for. Now, we have to be careful as a church that we don't create a church that's in like permanent ICU, but that we're loving people in a way that's preparing them to go back out with God. Now, um, a few points that I wanna go through quickly is just how do we nurture what we've already been given? What's the next step as we think about growth? And what is the invitation? Because there are some churches who are so internal and they have great marriage ministries and family ministries, and they focus on each other, and they do potlucks together. But their only form of mission is really like a one time a year. They support and they give checks. There's no external focus. But it's also possible as a church to become so externally focused that you're not caring for the people who are inside. And I want to build on that in just a moment. Here are some challenges to growth. Let me just go through these quickly. One is that there can be a complacency that there may not be need for growth. So as a church, are we compelled? Is there an urgency? What is the gospel ache in the community here at Sycamore View for growth in the kingdom? uh, Secondly, there are people who are really excited, but how is that excitement being channeled into action and invitation? I sense when I talk with people, there's high morale right now in this church. Uh, There are people who love to be here on Sunday mornings to worship together, but how is our excitement on Sunday, uh, how is that being channeled uh, uh, to us leaving here to let other people know about Jesus and to invite them into this family? Thirdly, when people do come, how do we keep them? How do we connect them? The phrase I've been using quite a bit for the last few months is adult to adult connection. I think this is one of the greatest challenges for this church right now is how are we connecting adult to adult? Because we have people, many of you are coming from more a diverse uh, background than ever before, diverse experiences there used to be a time in not just churches of Christ, but in churches that when people came to your church, they kind of knew about you. And if they came from Nashville, within two minutes, you can make all kinds of connections because you know people from the church they came from. And now we have people coming from all different churches, all different places. And the ability to connect adult to adult is so important. The research I've seen is that when a person comes to your church for the first time, you have a 48-hour window to make a meaningful connection with them. And if you do, there's a good chance they come back. When someone places membership, you have a six-week window to get them connected in a meaningful relationship and a meaningful ministry. And if you do that in six weeks, the chances of them hanging on with you and staying with you and staying plugged in for a while goes up greatly. So there's the challenge of connecting. There's also a challenge of geography and culture. I love our location. Many of us do. I I love how our theology affirms our location and our location affirms our theology, and what I mean by that is we're like right on the bridge of so much that happens in Shelby County. It's a bridge between the city and the suburbs. In some ways, it's a bridge between white and black and Latino. And I love that we're right there that we can be this melting pot. But you know one of the challenges we're discovering is that our location for a lot of people who are coming to Memphis, Memphis because they have a heart for urban communities, we're not urban enough for them. And we're also not suburban enough for people in the suburbs. So many people are driving into a community that's not familiar. And here's our location. And they pass by a lot of other churches to get here. It's a challenge. We just have to acknowledge it. And one other challenge we have to acknowledge, and I want to be really careful with this one, all right? But the name Church of Christ can be a challenge. Now, before I see any rumors start on social media today, all right, because I get these sometimes... Of what? A church today, they said they're taking Church of Christ off the name. I'm not saying that. There aren't discussions about that, all right? Sometimes people grab me and they're like, man, you got snakes in your church? Is that true? And I'm like, well, maybe. All right, come and check it out. You, maybe you'll see. All right. Uh, I just want you to, I just want us to acknowledge, especially in the South, this can be a challenge. Because there are some people that when they think about Churches of Christ or other groups, they are way more known for what they're against and what they're for. They're known for being more combative than they are inclusive. And it's just a challenge we have to acknowledge. Let me end with something hopeful for the church. And uh, Tim uh, Woodruff wrote a book a while back, and he used this illustration about flying, that for thousands of years, humans looked enviously. They were jealous of birds for being able to fly. Greek mythology had stories of people who would create wings so they could fly like the birds. Like, how could they have feathers and create wings so that they could soar? And for them to fly meant to soar. And for them to soar meant not just that they wanted to be with the birds, but they wanted to fly like the birds until the Wright brothers came along. And they decided not to focus on how birds fly, but they decided to focus on the problem of flight. And they built one of the first wind tunnels to study the effects of wind on the wings. And as they studied the effect on wind hitting the wings, they created what became known as the Kitty Hawk Special, the name of their plane. And in 1902, it flew four times. The longest was 58 seconds. There were no feathers involved, their wings didn't flap, but it flew. And what Tim Woodruff talks about, and I think he is so right, and I hope it's a word of encouragement for us today, is that the church is sometimes thought that to fly with the first century means that we have to fly just like the first century church flew. And what that means is sometimes we spend way too much time trying to reinstate form and function and patterns, and those aren't the things that we're called to reinstate. We don't need the first century church. We need the first century Jesus. We don't need to try to restore the first century church and all of their methods. We learn from them. But it's the resurrected Jesus who's the one that we are invited into this relationship with him. Thank you. To restore. Because movements, much like people, they can forget themselves and they can lose the thread that holds them together. That one moment we're marching along with purpose and identity and meaning and the next we're sitting paralyzed on the ground wondering how we got here, where we're going, what are we doing And for us, we're part of what is called the restoration movement. And I just want us to be careful that we never think about this movement as the preservation movement. It's the restoration movement. We are not called to preserve. We're called to restore. And we look at Jesus, who is the source and the foundation of it all. Jesus was not a victim when he went to the cross. It was a sacrifice. He was willing to go so that his blood could be poured out for the church. And his blood could form and shape the church so that we could accomplish together with him more than we could ever accomplish alone. Can I get the elders, prayer leaders, will you please go where you are? And today, if there's anything we can do for you, there are places for prayer today that if you just have a need of growth in your life, a prayer need in your life, there are places throughout this room where you can go to men and women to receive prayer it's not something that has to come before the church. You're just going to people who are stationed to receive you, to pray over you. And if there's anything we can do for you or something you want to bring before this church, Willie Holcomb's up here to my right to receive you. Let's stand together and let's sing.